similar to that famous prayer of St. Augustine, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And when we find ourselves a long way from home, we pray that you would draw us back to yourself. And we pray that through your word now, you would speak words of life and hope and truth to us. We pray that you would transform and heal our lives. That your word would be effective, bringing forth the fruit of love and joy and hope for a world in need. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, John Oak reminded us of the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, uh, reported in Luke chapter 19. And he told how Jesus came to Zacchaeus with utter grace to encounter him. Zacchaeus had climbed up a tree. Zacchaeus was not a popular man. He was uh, a lackey of the Romans, uh, collecting taxes, and so he was despised by his people. Uh, The Bible also says he was short, and so he climbed up a tree so that he could see better, uh, and perhaps also to avoid being in the midst of the crowd who didn't like him. Uh, And Jesus arrived and addressed him, and called him by name, called him down out of the uh, the tree, and then bestowed that incredible honor on him uh, by inviting himself to supper. We might not think of that as being a great honor, suddenly having somebody stop us in the street and invite themselves to supper with us. But in the culture of Jesus's day, uh, for a rabbi of great esteem like Jesus to come and invite themselves to be with you, even though you were a despised member of the community, uh, was a great honor. It was a sign, it was a, a tangible sign of the grace of God coming to rest with Zacchaeus. And in the light of this grace of God expressed in Jesus, Zacchaeus perceived the truth, firstly, about who Jesus is, and secondly, about what was wrong in his life and what needed to change, because he had been extorting people. He had been an unjust tax collector. He had defrauded and cheated people out of the money that they were due uh, to the Romans, and uh, he repented and said, I will change my life, I will amend my ways, and I will pay back those that I have wronged. He repented and made a radical change of life. Now, at the end of this episode, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, at the conclusion of the story, Jesus says that he has come to seek and save the lost. He says that the result of all of this, this encounter with grace, this transformation of life, has brought salvation to the house of Zacchaeus, and that Jesus has come to seek and bring salvation for the lost, to seek and save the lost. It stands as a summary of what has happened with Zacchaeus. It demonstrates to us that to be saved uh, is more than just expressing intellectual assent to a set of ideas or propositions. It's actually to encounter the grace of God in Jesus and to find our lives transformed and changed and healed. To be saved is so much more than perhaps we have previously thought it. What does it mean for us today? What does it mean for us in the context of this story of a lost son. In fact, two lost sons, but we'll come to that in a moment. You know how it is when you lose something precious to you. It it troubles you. It causes you grief and angst, maybe anger or upset, depending on the magnitude of what it is that you have lost. About two months ago, I lost my sunglasses. And this caused me a fair deal of grief and angst. You see, I bought these sunglasses 10 years ago in America, and they are a better pair of sunglasses than I could ever have afforded in this country. I went on a holiday to America when the exchange rate was good, and there was a sale at the Mall, 
and I was able to buy a pair of sunglasses that in my wildest dreams I would never afford in this country. And I've looked after them, I've cherished them, I've really, really cared for them and been careful to keep them in a nice, decent, hard case box. Uh, and they're the kind of sunglasses you can wear and you can drive in them and you get proper definition and field of vision. You know, so it's, it's important to me to have a really decent pair of sunglasses. Uh, prior to this particular pair of sunglasses, I would buy 20 pound or 30 pound sunglasses and I'd drop them, scratch them, break them, lose them on a regular basis and think, oh well, never mind. But this pair, this pair, I cherished, I valued. So I was grief stricken when I lost my sunglasses. And in fact, Sarah had to witness me kind of scouring the internet, trying to work out how I might be able to replace them and coming to terms with the fact that I was probably going to have to fork out about 200 pounds to replace these sunglasses and thinking that's an extraordinary amount of money to pay for a pair of sunglasses. But if you can look after them for 10 or 15 or 20 years, it's not such a bad deal. Um, but thinking, we don't have the money. What are we going to do? How am I going to do this? But I, I love, I cherish these sunglasses. You can imagine my delight when I walked into the side passage of the house, uh, was, went to put something into my bike panniers and discovered that there they were at the bottom of my bike panniers. I found my sunglasses and came home with much rejoicing. It was biblical. <laughs> Luke 15 describes to us what it's like to lose something and to find something. In three stories that Jesus tells, we get to the heart of what it means to lose something and to find something. There are three parables told, and Johnny reminded us of two of them last week, but just to refresh us, the first one is the parable of the lost sheep. The second is the parable of the lost coin, and the third is called the parable of the lost son. We'll come to that in a moment. Uh, the lost sheep, there's a, a, a farmer who has a uh, hundred sheep, and one goes missing, and he leaves the 99 to go and find the one that was missing. A woman has 10 coins and she loses one in the house and she uh, leaves the nine on the side and she goes and turns the house upside down to find the one. And in both cases, when these things are found, there is much rejoicing. In fact, the whole chapter, I think, is about the rejoicing of being found. Look at verse 6, the end of the parable of the lost sheep. Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. And in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons who do not need to. Look at verse 9. Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. Then verse 23 and 24, slightly different language, but the same sentiment. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. This son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The first two parables serve as a build-up to the story of the lost sons. They reveal the character of God, the character of God to search tirelessly for that which is lost, even if it involves leaving those who are at home and promising celebration over those who are found. But it's the third parable that grabs our attention. It's the third parable that tugs the heartstrings. For in the third parable, there is somebody to whom we can relate. There are characters and people that we recognize in ourselves, in our family, in our neighbors, in our world. All of us can relate to it in some way or another. It's a parable sometimes called the parable of the prodigal son, meaning the son who goes and wastes and squanders everything. It's sometimes called the parable of the lost son, talking about the younger brother who goes off into the far country. 
It's sometimes called the parable of the running father, picking up on that moment where the father comes tearing down the driveway to meet the younger brother who was lost. But it should probably be called the parable of the two lost sons. For there are two sons in the story, and both of them, in different ways, are lost. The story, you see, is not just about the wayward son, the younger brother, although many of us may relate to him with our personal experience. The younger brother story is, in a way, simple. You have a young man who wishes to go and have a wild time. He thinks that journeying to this far country and uh, having lots and lots of parties and indulging in wild and reckless living will bring him joy and satisfaction. And so he goes to his father and says, give me my portion of the inheritance. He knew that he stood to inherit when his father died, but he wasn't patient enough to wait for his father to die and inherit. He wished his father dead here and now so that he could have the money. He wanted his share of the inheritance. He wanted to cut himself off from his father and make his father dead to him so that he could have the money and go and live wildly. His father gives him his share. And the young man goes and squanders the wealth. And there are various details, uh, details in the story which uh, tell us a bit about the predicament that he was in, the miscalculation that he made. He squandered his wealth, and when he had nothing left, there was a famine, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out. Sort of fairly neat and uh, genteel translation for, another, for the phrase that really means made himself a slave to a foreigner, made himself a slave to somebody else. Gave up his position, linked himself, connected himself to another person who sent him into the field to feed pigs. Well, this isn't scandalous to us, but it is scandalous to the audience of Jesus' day. This is a story told about a Jewish father with his two sons, and the pigs are unclean. So to go and feed pigs is utterly scandalous. It's the lowest of the low. And he looked at the food that the pigs were eating, and he longed to eat it himself, but nobody gave him anything. He comes to his senses, and he goes back to his father's house and we know how the story goes he goes offering himself to be a servant to his father and when he was still a long way off his father saw him why did his father see him because his father was watching for him his father was not preoccupied or busy with other things his father was watching earnestly eagerly waiting for this son to return the father was watching and when the son was still a long way off he came running he uh, took upon himself, the father, the indignity of hitching up his robes and running down the drive. In a culture where there are very fixed hierarchies and expectations about honor and dignity, for the father, the elder man, to go running after this reckless uh, younger son is a sign of just how deep the affection and the love that the father holds has for his son. Now many of us can relate to that story in some way or another. Many of us have had a time in our lives where we have turned our back on God. Maybe we were brought up a Christian, maybe we became a Christian at some stage in our lives, uh, and we have known that we have willfully turned our back on God. I won't ask you to raise your hand and reveal if it's true, but I suspect that most of us at some stage or another have decided that we want to go to the far country where it looks like it's going to be fun. 
we have made that miscalculation. We have thought that it will be to our benefit to go and wander far from God. And we think that uh, the sort of excitement, dazzling lights of the big cities and the parties and uh, drink and sex and money and wealth and power are going to satisfy our deepest desires. And we discover that, of course, they don't. They are empty promises. They give us nothing. And so for us, it's comforting to know that when we repent and we turn back to God, he comes running to meet us. It's a wonderful part of the story, and I don't want to detract from that part of the story at all. I think the parable is told to remind us that God our Father does come running to meet us. And no matter how far from God we have wandered, he watches for us. And when we turn our heads and our gaze towards him, he welcomes us with open arms. He draws us into a passionate embrace. And yet, there is a second half to the story. It's the story of the other son. I said a moment ago that perhaps this parable should be called the parable of the two lost sons. Well, why two? The older brother stayed at home. He wasn't lost. He didn't go to the far country. Why was he lost? Why were they both lost? Well, if you spend a moment with the text, you realize that the father throws a banquet and a celebration and yet one brother is missing one brother is outside verse 28 the older brother became angry and refused to go in so his father went out and pleaded with him the younger brother was far off in a far country came back and was welcomed by his father the older brother stayed at home and yet refused to go in refused the presence of his loving father and the father went out to plead with him his father goes searching for him to welcome him home but he refuses he refuses the place within the family that is given him he disowns his brother verse 30 when this son of yours see the language this son of yours not this brother of mine but rather this son of yours this son of yours who has nothing to do with me he is dead to me. He may still be your son, but he's no brother of mine. Tragic, painful. The elder brother disowns his younger brother. He refuses to recognize the common bond of brotherhood. And how does the story end? How does it resolve? Does the elder brother go into the party? We never find out. I think that's exactly the cliffhanger that Jesus wanted his audience to hear and to respond to. Has the Father come to plead with me to go in? Am I refusing his presence? Even though I stayed at home and did everything that was expected of me, have I still refused my Father's presence? There's a little aside here about economics and wealth as well. The elder brother would receive, uh, by custom, a double portion of the inheritance and so when the father gives his wealth over to his two sons, the younger brother receives a third and the elder two-thirds, double of what the younger brother has. The younger brother despises the father's home and just wants the money. He wants his father dead. He wants to take his money and go and uh, live a wild life. But so too does the elder brother. For although the elder brother stays at home, the elder brother also resents the lavish and expensive celebration. This is his wealth, his share of the inheritance, which is being spent on the younger brother. 
In truth, the elder brother, although he stayed at home and stayed working with his father, he only really wanted his father's money. And he despises the idea of that wealth being diminished by this banquet to celebrate the return of the younger brother. He would prefer that his younger brother remained lost and dead. You see, there are two ways to be lost in this story. There are two ways to run away from our Father. We can ignore the designs of our Maker and run away. That's what the younger brother did. Or we can be so obsessed with our own performance and of keeping the rules that we drive ourselves away from the extravagant grace of our Father. That's what the elder brother did. We can be lost even when we stay at home. Which lost son are you most like? What should the elder brother have done? Well, a good elder brother would have set off to find their younger brother and bring him home. The theologian Edmund Clowney recounts the true story of a young man who was a US soldier uh, who was missing in action during the Vietnam War. When the family could get no word of him through any official channel, the older son flew to Vietnam and, risking his life, searched the jungles and the battlefields for his lost brother. It's said that despite the danger, he was never hurt because on both sides of the conflict, people heard of his dedication and respected his quest. He was known simply as the brother. The Bible is full of stories about brothers, how brothers are made to relate, how brothers should treat one another. Cain is the elder brother of Abel, and it's he who rhetorically asks, am I my brother's keeper? As a way of excusing his violence. Well, the answer that Jesus would give would be, yes, you are your brother's keeper. You are meant to love your brother. Seek them out, rescue them. The elder brother in the story of the two lost sons should have gone searching for his younger brother, yet he doesn't because to do so would have incurred personal cost to himself. When the younger brother eventually returns and he's welcomed back by his father, the fattened calf is slain and a robe is brought. The material wealth that now properly belongs to the elder brother, part of that two-thirds of the inheritance, is being spent on reincorporating the younger brother back into the household, back into the family. And perhaps that's why the elder brother never went to look for his younger brother, because he didn't really want to find him. He knew that if the younger brother was found, it would cost him materially. Perhaps he really wanted his younger brother to remain lost forever. Perhaps you can begin to see what this means for us. Perhaps you're getting a hint of how if we seek those who have wandered far from God, if we go like good elder brothers in the name of Jesus to seek and save the lost and bring them in. It will cost us, but it's worth it. We'll come back to that. Jesus left the comfort of his father's house in heaven to journey into the far country to find his younger brothers and sisters. When we were lost and far from home, our true elder brother came to find us. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us. And this ministry of reconciliation has been entrusted and committed to us. This work is to be continued with us. Jesus 
our true elder brother came at enormous cost to himself. Tim Keller describes it this way. Our true elder brother paid our debt on the cross in our place. There Jesus was stripped naked of his robe and dignity so that we could be clothed with the dignity and a standing that we don't deserve. On the cross, Jesus was treated as an outcast so that we could be brought into God's family freely by grace. There Jesus drank the cup of eternal justice so that we might have the cup of the Father's joy. There was no other way for the Heavenly Father to bring us in except at the expense of our true elder brother. Jesus' death for us on the cross has shown us that he's willing to journey into the far country to follow after us prodigal younger brothers and sisters who have gone astray. And not counting the personal cost to himself, he comes to seek and save the lost, to bring us home to the eternal party of heaven. And he's shown us a better way and invited us to join in with him, a way of self-giving love for others. More than that, as our true elder brother, he's made a way for us to be repatriated to our father's home, to be adopted in God's family. That's the way of brotherly love. So why are these stories told in Luke 15, and who are they for? What difference does it make to our lives? They seem to be directed at the grumbling Pharisees and teachers of the law in verse 2. Look at the beginning of uh, chapter 15. The tax collectors and sinners, in inverted commas, were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Jesus spent a lot of time with tax collectors like Zacchaeus and sinners. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered because he was spending his time with the wrong people. What does it have to say to us in the family of God today? Well, I think it serves as a cautionary tale to remind us that we must ensure that we see the stories of the lost and found as Jesus does, with joy and celebration, not with bitterness and resentment. It's an easy foothold for the enemy to make us complacent just as we are and resistant to incorporating others into our church community if it unbalances the equilibrium. Here's Tim Keller again. Jesus' teaching consistently attracted the irreligious while offending the Bible-believing religious people of his day. However, in the main, our churches today do not have this effect. The kind of outsiders that Jesus attracted are not attracted to contemporary churches, even our most avant-garde ones. We tend to draw conservative, button-down, moralistic people. The licentious and liberated, or the broken and marginal, avoid church. That can only mean one thing. If the preaching of our ministers and the practice of our parishioners do not have the same effect on people that Jesus had, then we must not be declaring the same message that Jesus did. If our churches aren't appealing to younger brothers, they must be more full of elder brothers than we'd like to think. So what kind of church are we going to be? Are we going to be a church of elder brothers who grumble in the field, resentful of those who God is adding to our community and our number? Or are we going to imitate the love of the Father that runs with reckless abandon to meet all the prodigals as they come home? One of my favorite songs is by the, uh, ba- uh, one of my favorite songs by the band Elbow. Uh, is called Open Arms, and its lyrics always remind me of this story of the two lost sons. The lyrics go like this, you're a law unto yourself and we don't suffer dreamers, but neither should you walk the earth alone. A vision of somebody who has wandered off uh, far away, lost and abandoned. 
So with finger rolls and folding chairs and a volley of streamers, we can be there for tweaks and repairs if you come back home. It's the party. We've got open arms for broken hearts, like yours, my boy, come home again. It's powerful, isn't it? Powerful, it's moving, it brings that story to life. I imagine it like the father's song, calling people home. Let's uh, watch a clip of it. bit of an abrupt ending, but it uh, gives you a little bit of the sense of the flavor of it. Whether you're lost and far from home, feeling as though you turned your back on God, your father, and if you need, like the younger brother, to experience the love of the running father welcoming you home, or whether you're lost at home, struggling to rejoice in the grace of God at work in the lives of others, and instead getting concerned about the reward that you think you deserve, God, our father, watches for you. He watches for the younger brother, and he watches for the elder brother. He goes out to plead with the elder brother to invite him in. He goes out to welcome the younger brother in a warm embrace. Will you come in to meet him? Jesus has been for us the elder brother that we all need. He came looking for us, coming to seek and save the lost. Will you be found by him? And will you, in his name, go searching for others to bring them with you to the eternal party? of the kingdom of heaven. Shall we stand and pray?